This is that generation that entered the promised land. They came out of Egypt or they were born in the wilderness. So that 40-year wilderness wandering, anyone over 20 did not enter in the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. So a whole generation, maybe they're teenagers when they came out of Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, then they come into the promised land. All the battles and the trials and tribulations and the victories of the promised land. The dispersion of the land, the size of Southern California being subdivided amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. Every tribe got their inheritance. Joshua even got his inheritance. Caleb went and got his. And the Levites went last and they got their inheritance because they served the Lord. And that's how it works when you serve the Lord. Others first. So we've studied all that. And as we come to chapter 23 tonight, it's really Joshua and his farewell speech. You know, in the Bible, you get a lot of farewell speeches. You get Jesus there in John 14 is essentially a farewell speech to the apostles on the last night, the night he was betrayed. Moses had a farewell speech that we saw in Deuteronomy. And, and you get them. You get these final exhortations where the Lord is just speaking through someone, life, wisdom, and things to think about. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes is a farewell speech from Solomon, the wisest man ever lived, to the next generation. What do you say? Seek the Lord in your youth that it may be well with you all your days. So really tonight, the context that we frame these two chapters to finish the book, it's one of the greatest leaders in human history. We said that about Moses, right? Remember we said that about Moses? Like, Moses got something to say. It's like one of the greatest leaders in human history. And this is what he says at the end of his life. Well, Joshua followed on the heels of Moses, and he's one of the greatest leaders in human history. Moses brought the people to the promised land. Joshua got them in and led them in all those things. And now he's got something to say. So that's our context. Chapter 23, verse 1, we read this. Now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies around about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for the elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And he said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan, that is the Jordan River, from all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward, the Mediterranean Sea. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. So we'll stop there at these first five verses. So again, the context, Joshua is at the end of his life. He calls together all the leaders. And when Joshua calls for you, everybody goes. Remember the tabernacles in Shiloh now, the central place of worship. And now Joshua is called for all the leaders. It's like a, like a national day of prayer or state of the union, that kind of a thing. And he gathers them and he says, look, the narrative tells us he's old by the Holy Spirit, and then he tells us by his own confession, he's old. He's old and advanced in years. We'll see more of that later on in this chapter. But he says something very interesting. He reminds them that God, that God has fought for them, and God has fulfilled his promises to them to give them this land. They all have their inheritance now. Like All the tribes got their inheritance. This is your region. These are your vineyards. This is your house. This is your well. They all got everything. Even the Levites got their, their portion spread out through the land. But then he says this statement that the Lord God, the Lord your God, will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. There's still more work to be done. That's what he's saying. We can so often settle for less than all that God has for us. And we can so often come short of all that God has for us. When you read the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, you have all these kings, some 40 kings, who maybe started well but came up short down the end. In human history, you see this easier to come up short of all that God has for you and settle for less than what God has for you than to find another gear and pour it on and go get everything God does have for you. There is really truly no retirement for the, the person, the woman, the man that lives by faith for the kingdom of God because there's always a new adventure. There's always a new thing for the next day that God has for us. There's always something in the moment of what God's doing in our life but there's always something for tomorrow. And, and so until you're like Paul the Apostle and you say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I've kept the faith, there's still something that's worth fighting for. There's still a race to be won, and there's a faith to be finished. As long as we have the breath of life, there should be a vision. There is a vision 
for our life from the Lord. Today, when we did the memorial here today in the sanctuary, earlier today for Todd Hood, a former firefighter, hundreds of people here, very powerful. One thing that got my attention when Robert Marcucci, who goes to church here, was sharing another former firefighter. And then his daughters read the scripture and his dad got up and shared and his girlfriend and his brother. In the midst of what they shared, someone mentioned what his next thing was, a vision that he had. He was 50. And in the bulletin, we read about all the amazing things that he had done in his life. He saved people's lives. He got the highest awards possible for being a firefighter twice, back-to-back years. Risked his life, went into the shooting in Vegas when it was still happening to save people that horrible day four years ago. Saved a three-year-old that had drowned in the pool at the resort in Legoland and brought her back to life when everyone else was in shock and stunned. So amazing laurels to have in your life. And the highest awards, the awards, the hall was filled with awards and all the things that he did in his life. It's amazing at 50. But it was interesting as they were sharing about his life, the vision, and he had had heart surgery and these things. And, but he had vision for more things. He was engaged. He had vision to go forward in a new chapter of his life. He saw a future of how, with his girls, 12 and 10, what he was going to experience with them. And most of all, he saw faith. Because the last time I talked to him, there was a divine appointment. He lived four houses down the road. We were walking the grandkids and our, our daughter's dog, Leah's dog, Hank, the wild puppy. So Todd started to share with me and you know, with the grandkids, there's a lot going on. You got the dog that's squirrely, not our dog, but the kid's dog. And so Jennifer took the dog. We recognized there was something here. And Todd began to share with me all that the Lord had done for him. And he just wanted to share his testimony. And listen to what he said to me. He said, I want to come share my story at your church. And I mentioned at the memorial today that when people say something like that, you're like, well, what, what is your story? You know, as a pastor, you're like, you know, you just let people get up and share a story. But then I was thinking about it during the service. I've had people offer to lead worship at our church, which is very natural when you're a pastor, or even serve at our church. But I honestly can't remember anyone ever saying to me, I want to come to your church and tell my story. And he had had some drug and alcohol issues, evidently. I don't know the full details, but I, I said to him, you all know my sister's story with drug and alcohol background. So I said, he goes, I've been sober. you know." And I was like, how long have you been sober? And he goes, two years. I said, well, congratulations. That's awesome because, you know, rehab stuff, that's a big deal. Sober two years. Listen, if you ever live with a drunk sober for two years is a great alternative. And you're very thankful for that. My sister just celebrated four years of being sober in Florida. And that was a really big deal to her. But he said, the last thing he said to me, I want to come share my story at your church. I said, well, we'll get back to you on that. God bless you, Todd. And then I walked away. And he stepped into eternity a week later. And today in this sanctuary, we shared his story with hundreds of people. Isn't that amazing? He actually had a vision of his memorial service. He said to Pastor Joy from Worship Generation, I want to come to your church and share my story. And he came to our church today and shared his story and the gospel with everyone here. We need a vision. We need faithfulness in today, but we need a vision for tomorrow with Jesus. That's very important. I've shared this numerous times, but I refer to this. On YouTube, you can go see Pastor Chuck Smith's final message at Calvary Costa Mesa. And you think of the 40, 50 years that Pastor Chuck ministered as a pastor. You think of the 10 days, the Jesus movement, all these incredible things that are associated with his faithfulness to the Lord. And I like to listen to the studies from 19, the, the C2000 series are from 1978 to 1983 through the Bible of Pastor Chuck, because I like to hear what he says about the timeline during that time. I like those, those series that study through the Bible. But there's something so powerful about Pastor Chuck teaching the Bible with an oxygen mask on in a 30-minute Bible study with terminal lung cancer before we step into eternity. There is something so powerful about that. That that vision to just keep going 
and keep teaching the word of God verse by verse, verse by verse, until the last breath. And that's what he did. Joshua is a stepping into eternity, and he says, you know, you guys have received your inheritance, the trust, the will, the estate, it's been divided. You've got good houses you inherited you didn't build. You've got property that you didn't buy. You've got fruit being produced for you that you didn't plant those trees. It'd be so easy to say, we've arrived, and this is awesome, and we can just cruise. And Joshua says, don't you cruise. There's so much more to do. We need a vision for life. As long as we're alive, we need faith for today, and we need a vision for tomorrow. Now, the Bible warns about us having this great plan, and we're going to do this and do that. But there in James where it says that, he also says we should say if the Lord wills, we'll do this and we'll do that. It says in Proverbs 29 that people without a vision perish. And the context of that, it's a proverb, so it's a very short verse that stands on its own, is the idea is that without the clarity of God's word, we go astray. We need God's word coming into our life every day to give us vision for our race, for the good fight, and for the faith that we're to keep. So here, Joshua has invited all of us to his room in assisted living. He's called us all into his room. And he says, I'm old. I'm very old. And you are not done. Don't rest on what God's done for you so far, but have a vision for more. And this is really important for all of us tonight. It just reminds us that no matter what's going on in our life, faith for today and a vision for for the kingdom for tomorrow. And we're told that if we ask, if we seek, we just went through this in the Sermon on the Mount, we seek, knock, and ask, God will open, God will answer, God will show us what's next. For the people without a vision perish. So we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we get after things of today. Tomorrow will take care of itself, but there is a vision for tomorrow. There's a vision for tomorrow. The book of Acts is filled with people, men and women, who had a vision for tomorrow, where the kingdom was going. And when we step into eternity, may we step into eternity with a vision of the kingdom of God expanding and unfinished work to be done with the kingdom of God whether it's our calling or one we're passing on to those we're leaving behind. Because the Calvary Chapel movement didn't end when Pastor Chuck stepped into eternity, nor did the body of Christ end when Billy Graham stepped into eternity, or Billy Sunday, or D.L. Moody, or Fanny Crosby, or any of these famous people, Amy Carmichael, Elizabeth Elliott, all the men and women who've come before us, these amazing people, They did finish their race, but there's still work to be done. And we're just reminded tonight that, yeah, we might live in the book of Judges in our timeline, but let us be Deborah and Othniel in the book of Judges. And you'll know what I mean when we start to go through it. Let us not be those who depart from the Lord in the book of Judges. Let us be those who press into the Lord in the book of Judges, because there's still great things to be done. We read on now. So after he makes his statement, the Lord's not done, and he's going to do. He's going to continue to be faithful for you to finish what you're called to do in your lifetime, but I go my way, is what he's saying. Then he says this in verse 6, we pick it back up. Therefore, because of this, therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, and lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you, You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you've done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you a great and strong nations. He's driven out. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One of you, one man of you, shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else, indeed, you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriage with them, and go into them, and they to you. And know for certain 
that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord has given you. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. When you've transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land, which he has given you. Sometimes on your deathbed, you got to say things that are true and have to be said. The truth is the truth. You never have to manufacture the truth, invent the truth, or frame the truth a certain way. Now, the Bible says speaking the truth in love, so we want to speak the truth in love. We don't need to get worked up for the truth. The truth speaks for itself in a universe of truth. Time, space, and matter, and science has truth. And the spiritual laws of the universe have the same truth. And as all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ for the church, and as we give our life to Christ, we have equality in receiving those promises for good, we realize in the same way there's equality for rejecting the promises of God and being on the wrong side of the promises of God. You think of John chapter 3, where Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world is already condemned because they believe it not in the Son whom the Father sent. And men don't come to the light, and he is the light and life of men, because men love darkness. And then it goes on to say there in John chapter 3 that he who has the Son has the Father and has life. But he who does not have the Son does not have the Father, and the wrath of God abides upon them. Those are absolute truths. Those are absolute promises of authority that if we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ and we have received and we have that positional righteousness, we are saved by faith, by grace we've been saved. Today during the memorial, the, the bagpipes played right through here, just came walking through here, hundreds of people, dozens and dozens of them in uniform playing Amazing Grace. And he just came in and played it and walked right out. I was like, Wow. He's reminding us of how we're saved. By grace you've been saved, that through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he just walked right out, and then the, the, the sound faded, just like we'll fade from this dimension as we step into the next one. But the promise is that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If we have the Son. But in the same way, the one that does not have the Son, they're under the wrath of God. So either Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself for our sins on the cross, like we are singing earlier with Jeff, or we're going to bear the wrath of God for our sins, for this perfect justice and equity in eternity. And I've been saying this a lot lately because it's important. Equity is a big word in our culture and in our world in 2021. We're never going to have perfect equity in time, space, and matter. Because history already has confirmed we haven't. And it's not within the sinful nature of corrupt men and women who abuse power, totalitarians and authoritarians, to think of equity. They preach equity while they bring death and control and subjection. And since the end game is Antichrist rules over the planet, one can only know we're not moving toward greater equity greater difficult times. But in eternity, there's perfect equity. And if you think of the God of wonders beyond our galaxy with a trillion galaxies in the universe, a trillion, and knows the hairs on our head, do you realize as soon as we flip dimensions, there's nothing but perfection in the next dimension? These songs we're singing, they're making it to eternity. We'll be singing these songs in eternity. There'll be no sun, for his presence is the light in his glory. And there'll be no injustice. So even if you get justice here, that's good. If you don't, that's okay, because in the next dimension, it's full, perfect justice. 
When the Lamb's Book of Life is opened and those who redeem enter into glory because they're in the Lamb's Book of Life through faith in the Son, there's perfect glory and no injustice. When the books are open for the unbelievers before Jesus Christ and they're cast out into outer darkness and the lake of fire, it's perfect justice and they chose it themselves. And all the descriptions that Jesus gives of hell is self-inflicted perfect justice upon people for rejecting him. And when the books are open, they're just going to be, they're going to understand the charges against them, how they rejected grace, how they rejected Christ, how they rejected hope and faith and truth and all the times they did, and how they're accountable for being guilty of breaking God's law. One portion is guilty of all the law, and they're cast out, and they completely agree with it. And the most profound thing about that is, is when we accept Christ in this life, to become in the Lamb's Book of Life, we bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and we choose to do so with self-determination, our own will. But when we step into eternity, those who step into eternity up from the presence of the Lord, in their unbelief and are cast out, the last thing they say in the presence of God the Father in His glory as they look upon His glorious throne and the rainbow over the throne of the Father is they'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The last thing they'll do as a created being in the presence of God is confess that God is true and all men are liars. Because Romans says that God be true and every man a liar. And there'll be perfect equity. The promises of God work both ways, for good to those who believe and for wrath for those who reject. It's perfect scales. No wonder God said to the prophet, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. It's the day of the Lord in the valley of decision. Time and time again in the scriptures, one generation steps into eternity and says to the next one, choose this day whom you'll serve. Choose whom you'll serve. And we choose. And Joshua is just imploring them and begging them to understand that there's a day of accounting and all the promises of God work for glory as they work for wrath, depending on which side we put ourselves. God gave them two mountains in the promised land. Remember? The fertile mountain that represented all the promises and then the barren mountain that represented all the promises of his judgment. One for good and one for bad. He actually had them stand on two different mountains and shout the law back and forth to each other to have it really established in their hearts these truths. And on that note, Verse 14 cannot go unnoticed. So he, he had these three therefores. You know, therefore, there's work to be done. Be courageous, be faithful, obey the Lord. Therefore, take care, uh, take heed to yourself. Don't, don't hang out with bad company. And then the third therefore was uh, to, the promises work both ways, which we've just been covering. There are three therefores. You saw them, the therefores. There's three of them in this text we just read. But in the middle of that therefore, <laughs> Joshua says, I go, I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm going the way of of all the earth. What a powerful verse. David said the same thing. David, at the end of his life, 500 years later, said, I go the way of all men. That's how he put it. I go the way of all men. There's, you know, as you get older, young people, this is harder to wrap your mind around unless you get a terminal illness and you have to wrap your mind around it, which I've watched young people do. But we're all going to go the way of all the earth. And as you get older, you begin to come to terms with your mortality, Right? You do. You begin to come to terms with like, hey, it's not hard. If you're 60, I am, and the days of man are 70 by measure of strength 80, you, you, you know it's the second half. If it's hockey, it might be the third period. probably is. But I'm not going to live to be 120. So for sure, it's the second half. You just don't know if it's the fourth quarter or the two-minute warning or what. You just don't know. But we will go the way of all men. I shared today at the memorial about Melissa in camp when she stepped into eternity, how she came out of her coma from a terminal illness, turned to, climbed out of her deathbed, grabbed her husband, Jeremy Camp, and said, I am healed. As she was looking toward Jesus, he came for her over my left shoulder. Now, I saw a room and a wall. She saw Jesus. She got out of that deathbed and was going to Jesus, died in her husband's arms, and the last thing she said is, I am healed. But what I didn't share this morning was another story. Now, I was an eyewitness to that one. But early on in ministry at Calvary Costa Mesa, one of the toughest days we ever had, we had a, a fifth grader drop dead during PE at MCA Academy. My kids were going to school there, so you can imagine how we felt. I was over the Logos building. We got this call. Hey, this girl just collapsed, and me and Scott Cunningham, we all know, we ran as fast as we could from the Logos building over to the school, and we came around the corner and they were the first responders trying to bring this little girl to life. 
And she had a weak heart. She'd always had a weak heart. Heather Bonham. And she stepped into eternity that day. But what was amazing about that day, there was two things about that day I'll never forget, is there other girls, so she began to step into eternity at PE, but she'd gone in the bathroom, and a couple other girls were with her from the classroom, and they testified that she was talking to Jesus. So the last thing she was doing before stepping into eternity, she was talking to Jesus. That's the I would now. That was the immediate eyewitness account of elementary school girls that were her classmates. She was talking to Jesus. She was transcending, like when Stephen saw Jesus stand at the right hand of the Father in the book of Acts. She was talking to Jesus. He came for her. Later that day, I had to go with Brian Nixon to the classroom and tell her classmates that she was with Jesus. I'll never forget that day. Behold this day, I'm going the way of all the earth. And 60 years of life, I've seen it from the youngest children, infants that wouldn't even know, to toddlers, elementary, middle school, high school, college, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. I've seen it. I've seen every one of those Links of 10 to 20, 20 to 34. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it. Whether killed by an improvised explosive device in Afghanistan, Trevor Winay, Calvary Chapel High School, his memorial, or just cancer as an 11-year-old, Christina Bowers. I've seen it. So it's good to be reminded today, on the 28th of September, we will go the way of all men. And we will go the way of all the earth. And that's all the more reason to be walking in obedience and faithfulness today, seeking a vision for tomorrow. Because once we go, we're gone. And we are not coming back. You know what? Like, with all these first responders today, I thought, they understand eternity. Because, you know, you're doing all these first responders. They deal with eternity all the time. So, like, a minister like me and all these guys, like, we get each other. We watch people step into eternity. But a lot of people don't think about stepping into eternity. A lot of people, most people don't deal with this on a day-to-day level like first responders do. It's good to be reminded from a man who has a great life and a great legacy, Joshua. He's like, come here, come here, all of you. Every future generation of faith and listen to me. I go the way of all the earth. And so will we. There's something so sobering. Like I still can't wrap my mind around that I'm not going to just see Todd when I walk by his house tomorrow when I walk the dog's. He's just not going to come out there and start talking with me like he, he would talk with me. Like, the dog's still going to be there, Chewy barking in the window, but Todd is not going to be there. It's good to be reminded. Now, I think most of you live with that sense of eternity in our hearts. And if you don't, we need to. I do. I need to, I need to live with that sense that when you come to grips with your mortality, you're free to serve the Lord and you're free to embrace the moment when eternity comes and you're just, you're there. Where Jesus said, where your treasures, your heart will be also. So if our faith and our expectations are all for that glory, then that's, that's what we're living for and that's what Jesus wants for his disciples. All these three, therefore, is they're just warnings and exhortations, but really, we go the way of all eternity. That's what he's saying. He's old. He's advanced. There's more work to be done, he says to us, and he goes the way of all the earth, and so he does. Chapter 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, no, notice the phrase here, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So now he's speaking like a prophet. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So it's not Joshua so much like, hey, here's the way it is. Therefore, consider this. Therefore, this. Therefore, that. He's like, thus says the Lord God of Israel. You know, thousands of times in the Old Testament, the Bible says, thus says the Lord. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, of course, father Abraham, the head of the Jewish race, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, modern Syria. And they served other gods, the gods of 
that region. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Of course, Isaac is the son of promise. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. That was Edom, the Sinai Peninsula. But to Jacob and his children, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Jacob, of course, is Israel. God changed his name to Israel. And the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 5. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, the Red Sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with the chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, the east side, modern Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called for Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and then you went over the Jordan and came into Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, but I delivered them into your hand. I sent hornets before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That famous verse, but actually there's quite a profound verse before that, right? You saw verse 14. So in this, thus says the Lord, God is reminding them how he made a nation from one man, Abraham, with a wife who was uh, unable to have children, Sarah. And to Sarah, he gave the son of promise, Isaac. From the son of promise came Jacob. From Jacob came the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. 70 people going down to Egypt around 2000 B.C., 1.5 million plus coming out of Egypt 500 years later, led by Moses and Aaron into the wilderness for the 40-year wilderness wandering. So God is reviewing to them his faithfulness to them. So we have Joshua giving an exhortation in chapter 23, and now here we have Joshua speaking as a prophet for the Lord, reminding his people, God's people, what he had done for them in this journey. And again, some of these people present would have seen almost all of this as far as coming out of Egypt in the wilderness and then the victories in the promised land, they would have been a part of that. So you have everything before they went to Egypt, you have their deliverance from Egypt, and then you have their victory in the land of promise, starting with the battle of Jericho. So the threefold element, all the history before Egypt, deliverance from Egypt, and then coming to the promised land. So God just gave the whole panoramic of his faithfulness to them as a nation. From the very beginning, Father Abraham, who came from a family of idolaters that didn't even serve and worship and believe the one true God. It's noteworthy, just for a moment, parenthetically. When you study human history and ancient civilizations and societies, there's a common thread in archaeological discoveries worldwide of different ancient civilizations. First of all, everyone puts the modern man... So all these Darwinists who believe that man is billions of years old, it all still starts 6,000 years ago. It all starts in the Middle East and the Fertile Crescent. Go figure, right? Go figure. All the rest is just nonsense. So young earth, Adam is ahead of our race 6,000 years ago. And don't be so foolish to believe anything other than that, because that's true science. But from Adam came the, the pre-flood world of 1,500 years of men. And then... The flood, and so Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they're on the ark. The table of nations in Genesis, and they spread out. So all of us come through Noah and one of his three sons, ethnically, which the table of nations gives us in the book of Genesis. And as they went out in a post-flood world, these three sons of Noah would have had the oral traditions of the world that they came from. Adam, the head of the race, sin, a global flood, and God's grace. And so what you find 
and you can go to Institute for Creation Research online to see a lot of this stuff and this data, is as these societies went out, you get perversions or degenerations of those truths. So almost all ancient civilizations have a belief in a flood of judgment. By the way, just for dinosaurs, almost every ancient civilization has belief in dragons, which is what dinosaurs were called until 150 years ago. So in ancient archaeological findings, you will find beliefs, writings, tablets of a flood of judgment, local or worldwide, dragons with men and men fighting dragons. And if you don't think that's in man to conquer dragons, just pull up movies on Prime Video. Lots of movies of people fighting dragons. It goes back to the dawn of creation. And then the third thing that's most important is an original man and original woman. That all the races, all the ethnic groups come from one man, the head of a human race. This belief system is truth. And even these ancient civilizations, regardless of the continent, you find degeneration or perversions of that truth of an original man, ahead of the race, judgment of a flood, and men living with dragons. So from that background, 500 years after the flood, after the Ice Age, because the Ice Age is after the flood, here's Abraham in Ur the Chaldeans, like in a house full of idolatrous worshipers who have been degenerated in their belief in the one true God for five centuries, and God says, hey, you, come out of your family, come out of your homeland, come to the land I'm going to show you, and I'm going to bless you. And God revealed himself to Abraham like he did to Noah before the flood. And Abraham found grace in the eyes of the Lord like Noah did. And from this man Abraham came the nation of Israel with two key purposes in human history. One, to be entrusted with the scriptures and the history of men and mankind. Thus the book of Genesis to the prophet Malachi. And two, to declare to the world that the Messiah would come through them. Thus the hundreds of prophecies concerning Jesus Christ in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. They're entrusted with the scriptures and the message of the scriptures that Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, would come and deliver the world from sin. And for 4,000 years, man is teaching humanity. They cannot save themselves from their sin, but they are guilty under sin. But a Messiah is coming. Like Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he'll walk the earth. And he did. It's Jesus. And then the message that the Messiah will come to the nation of Israel. Thus, they're entrusted with the oracles of the scriptures and they're entrusted with the Messiah coming through them. All from Abraham finding grace. This is the history of humanity. This is the history of Israel. And this is the history of the church. Because we read about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the Jew first, because they had the scriptures and the Messiah was promised to them. And it doesn't say king of the Gentiles on the cross. It says king of the Jews. But when he comes in his second coming, which is very soon, because he said three times in Revelation 22, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Even so, Maranatha, he's coming. And in his coming, he's king of kings. He's the God of a trillion galaxies, and Jerusalem is his capital, and Mount Zion is his throne, and he is coming. He is coming soon. This is what he did through Israel for the church. And now he says to the church, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and we've got a job to do. And we have to decide how we're going to serve the Lord in these last days. In a world with the winking of the eye, the shuffling of the feet, backbiting, stealing, conniving, at the highest level, corruption at all levels, but there's nothing new under the sun, so it's not like it's new. He tells us in verse 14 to serve the Lord in the fear of the Lord in sincerity and in truth. That's how we're to serve the Lord. People have a hard time figuring out who to trust, who not to trust, who to believe, who not to believe. Let them trust you. Let them trust me. Let us fear the Lord and serve the God of Abraham, the King of Kings, Lord of the church, Jesus Christ. Let us serve him in fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, and sincerity and truth. Let us avoid insincerity and falsehood. Because there's plenty of that in the world. Always has been, always will be. In fact, since the world's moving toward the reign of the Antichrist, who's the, the Antichrist has all the power of Satan. And what is all the power of Satan? Well, we look at his titles. He's the father of lies. And he does lying signs and wonders. 
This planet is headed toward a great deception of the highest level. So all the more reason for the followers of Christ to serve the Lord in fear with sincerity and truth. Then we also see the more famous statement that we're all familiar with, or most of us are. Joshua says, you know, you guys, you can serve. If you want to serve the gods of Syria from a thousand years ago, that's your business, but they're not the living God. There's only one God. Later on, 700 years after this, Isaiah, God will say through Isaiah, I am the Lord, there's no other. I am a rock. There is no other gods besides me. One true God. All the gods of human history, from Thor to Balaam and everything in between, there's only one God, our God, God of the universe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune in nature as his universe is triune. And he will not share his glory with another. And Joshua says that he steps into eternity, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You decide who you're going to serve, we're going to serve the Lord. There will be a generation that will be pressured by their society, their governmental controls, to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. The ultimate move of totalitarianism and authoritarianism over humanity will be a global leader with all the power of Satan that will subjugate people under his authority and his control. However he does, he's control everybody. And people are going to sell their souls for a loaf of bread because that's what it tells us in the Bible. But the ultimate mark of what this Antichrist will do is pressure people to deny their faith in the living God. So down the stretch, what humanity and the church particularly is going to be faced with is this statement, whom do you serve? And we have to see past the temporal and see the eternal. Jesus told us in Matthew 10 that he who confesses me before men, I'll confess before the Father, but he who denies me before men, I'll deny before the Father. And all this control we're seeing right now, this subjugation and control of, all, of just, it's insane all over the planet right now. It's moving toward a different control. It's moving toward a control of people renouncing faith in the living God. So we need to be really sure in our hearts, like Paul said, I know who I believed in, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. And we need to have, as it says in Timothy, the good confession that Christ also had before Pilate, that good confession we have, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we need to choose to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If your children walk with the Lord as they get older, that's a wonderful thing. If they don't, let it be their choice of self-determination that they chose contrary to you by their own choice. But, But let your influence be for the Lord. We've saved some old shirts from when our kids were little, and Hannah was in town this week. She just flew back to Florida. She was here for the bridal shower for Timmy's fiance, but um, we've saved little, we had these cute little kids shirts, like Billabong shirts from like 1990s in really good condition. Like that's so retro, right? Isn't like the most retro thing you could want for kids? And I was like, oh, do you have any more of the girls' shirts or whatever the girls' dresses? But you know what Hannah has? It's her prize. It's a yellow t-shirt with the donut man. Anyone remember the donut man, Rob Evans? When I take a bath, I think about the Lord. How he washed away my sins, let me tell you more. He washed my hands so I could touch the world he loves so very much. That t-shirt is like cool to Hannah. She grew up with McGee and me, donut man, Brentwood kids. I can't do much now, she's 31. I had my chance, you have your chance with your children. The best thing you can do is give them a legacy of faith. And if you don't have children, you give it to the next generation, whoever you can find around you. Because there's always a ministry in the human being that's standing next to you or sitting next to you. Always imparting faith. Always imparting a future and a hope. I have to tell you, I was so happy to come to this memorial because on my way here, apart from Todd's faith being a testimony, Hannah and the grandkids with Bell are going back to Florida this afternoon and they're going to go see Leah and go see the other grandkids in Costa Mesa across the river, San Ana River, right? And they're going to go over there and say goodbye, but they had to leave earlier because Leah had to go somewhere. She had to go lead the women's and the, the mommies and babies for um, Josh Hisco's church, uh, Everlyn, I think it is. And it's their church where they go to, all the young people. 
And like, it made me so happy as I'm coming to do memorial that my 28-year-old daughter is leading a ministry at her home church this morning. That is priceless. You parents of younger kids, let me tell you, that is priceless. When you're coming to share the gospel at a memorial, you didn't even know ever well. Like, you didn't even know. I didn't know he was doing this. I just, she'd go, oh, yeah, guess what? I'm doing a women's ministry. I, we know Hannah's teaching women in Florida. But like, to hear that, like, the joy. We still have the plaque, as for me, my house will serve the Lord. We still have it. It was in all of our houses. We don't need the plaque anymore. And a plaque can't substitute what time and prayer and reality really is. Love shown to your children and given to your children to rise up and serve the Lord. And now we get our grandchildren. Isn't it great having grandkids? Those of you guys have grandkids? It's the most wonderful thing. We were talking about our kids, Hannah and Leah, they used to give away gifts. When people come to our house, they give their best toys away to kids. In Virginia, people are like, why do your kids do this? I'm like, we didn't tell them to do it. They're choosing to give away their most prized possessions to some of the kids to visit the house. No, it's your heart. Again, I found out today Zippy gave away one of her favorite mermaids. Went on the plane back to Florida. That's supernatural when a four-year-old gives away one of their best toys to another three-year-old. Jesus is on the throne. God is still working, and he can do greater things than we've ever seen in our lifetime. But we have to decide, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We have to draw that line and be willing to sacrifice anything and everything to obey that statement and to put teeth and girth to it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Any talk is cheap. We have to prioritize the Lord. Jesus needs to be first because he is the author and finisher of our faith. Our children need to know there's a day when your 10-year-old and 12-year-old might be at your memorial like today. They have to see. They need to see it. And, of course, when they live with you, they see it. As I said today concerning Todd, there's no perfection in Todd or any of us. But we have a perfect Savior. And as my sister would say, progress, not perfection. And that's obtainable. What do we say when we think of our life? As for me and my house, will serve the Lord. What does our life say? Joshua is going the way of the earth, and he says, As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. He's seven eternity. He's passed the baton on to his children and his children's children, and he won't live to see what they live, the choices they make in their life. Caleb won't live to see Othniel become the first judge in the book of Judges, because Caleb would move on to eternity too. But his daughter married Othniel, and they're leaders in that first generation in a post Moses Joshua world. It's always the right time to do the right thing. And imparting our faith to the next generation is always going to be part of the Great Commission. Beginning in our vision of how we see humanity and in our homes and the society around us. And we need to take our faith, as for me and my house, and we need to pass it on to the next generation however we can, whenever we can. We read on now and we close out the book with this. We read here in verse 16. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God who will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourself to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So awesome. That's awesome they said that. Okay, let's do it. We'll see in the book of Judges how it goes. Let's do it. Right on, Israel. Go for it. Verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, set up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. He's done. He sealed the fruit. 
They said, we're going to serve the Lord. They set the rock up by the tabernacle, and, you know, and that was it. They did it. Verse 29. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timnath Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought out of Egypt, they buried in Shechem, in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in the hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. So these last few verses, Joshua steps into eternity. Joseph, whose body they had from when he died in Egypt, is now buried in the land of Ephraim, Ephraim being the grandsons of Joseph, the descendants of Joseph through his two grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he's buried in that plot that Father Jacob bought back in the book of Genesis that we read a couple years ago. And then Eliezer, the son of the the high priest, the son of the great Aaron, he died, and now Phineas is stepping up. Truly, it just goes from one generation to another, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't this book just remind us it just goes from one generation to another? And these generations don't change, like, dramatically. It's like 80 years, and it's like just a moving... You know those airports that have, like, the treadmills that are, you know, the escalators that move slow, like Chicago Air has them? Like, if you're in a hurry, you can get on one of those. As long as someone's not blocking, you can, you can make some time. But they do move pretty slow. If you just stand there, like, people walk by you, right? That's how time is. It's like those flat escalators in airports. They're moving slow, but they are moving. They are moving. And they move each generation into eternity, one after another after another. Presidents, pastors, prophetesses, they all just go one after another. And this book ends. They all step into eternity. It's a total reload. When we come back to Judges next week, it's all new people. It's all new people. We can never lose sight of the reality that we're all moving toward eternity. For truly we go the way of all the earth. Amen.